listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Brexit. What a pass to Anders. A team follow. Boy, branch fires. He converts. Rhymes again. Wherever you may be listening, however you may be listening, welcome to another episode of Pod Slamma Jamma. Pod Slamma Jamma. How should I say? Pod Slamma Jamma. Pod Slamma Jamma. Presented by Apollo Media. Your home for all things Houston sports. Once again, we are very happy to be a part of the Apollo Podcast Network. My name is Andy Anis. You can find me on Twitter at Aonis underscore five. And I cover the University of Houston Cougars men's basketball team for the Daily Cougar, the student newspaper at the University of Houston. I do some freelance for the Houston Chronicle. I've done freelance for them for the Houston Sabercats. I've started doing freelance for a local, um, even more local newspaper community or impact community newspaper in the suburban areas of, of the outskirts of Houston. <clears throat> I'm going to start freelancing for them. So great times, great times is trying to pay the bills. <laughs> Uh, college debt. It's not a joke. But anyways, that you do not want to hear about my problems. Welcome to Pod Slam Jamma, presented by, once again, Apollo Houston. And we'll get right into it. The first thing we're going to talk about, Houston Cougars. Houston Cougars. They are in the Elite Eight for the first time since 1984. Not for the first time since a thousand, not a thousand days. Not 2,000 days, not 3,000 days, not 4,000 days, not 5, not 6,000, not 7,000 days, not 8,000 days, not 10,000 days, not 11,000 days, not 12, shoot, not even exactly 13,000. First time since 13,518 days on Monday the Houston plays in the Elite Eight, who have been 13,518 days, 37 years since the University of Houston last played in, in an Elite Eight game. And back then, you know, it was Akeem Olajuwon. I'm talking about Akeem. No H in the front of his name. Michael Young, Ricky Winslow, leading the Cougars into the regional final. Obviously, that team made it all the way to the NCAA tournament championship game against Georgetown before they ultimately lost to them. 37 years since Houston last played in its Elite Eight matchup. And my goodness, what a run it has been for the U of H Cougars after honestly kind of hanging on by a thread against Rutgers off that 14-2 run to end that game against the Scarlet Knights, 7-0 final seven straight points. Houston bounced back against Syracuse, and honestly, they looked poised from the start against Syracuse. Signature zone that everyone was talking about when it came to Syracuse was not that big of an issue against Houston. Well, I take that back. Obviously, it was an 
it caused problems for Houston. But what I mean by that, they seem poised. They didn't seem overwhelmed by it at any point. And I think the biggest stat that, stat that points that out, Houston didn't commit a turnover against Syracuse for the first 11 minutes of that game. They went most of the first half without committing a single turnover. And that helped them build a 17-5 lead early. Obviously, then they kind of started struggling a little bit once Quentin Grimes picked up his second foul. And they had to hold him out of the game for a little bit. And you saw Syracuse rally and on a 15-3 run of their own. The game was tied at 20. But even then, the game was tied. That never seemed like Houston was not in control. And that's for me. Looking at the game, for those of you that do not follow me on Twitter, you should. Once again, that's A on his underscore five. And currently, I'm in, Indiana, in Indianapolis. I made the trip up here. I'm staying here for as long as the University of Houston Cougars are still alive in the NCAA tournament. But just watching them live, well, the, the, the little bit I could watch them because, my goodness, the NCAA tournament had nothing to take away from Hinkle Fieldhouse. It is a great venue. It's pretty cool. And for 25% capacity, it got really loud. <clears throat> I can imagine how loud it gets in those in the Hinkle Field House once you know it's at full capacity. But great venue. Um, so I got to watch most of the game when my view was obstructed, but it never seemed like Houston was rattled by that zone. Dejan Giroux said after the game that Houston just followed his game plan. It was a great game plan. That head coach Kevin Sampson gave a lot of the scouting credit to his lead assistant obviously his son Kellen Sampson who said he he was the one that had most of the responsibility when it came to the scouting of Syracuse and how they do things on, on offense <clears throat> that's something that Kelvin Sampson said after the game was really their main concern it wasn't scoring against Syracuse's defense that, that, that was kind of the headline going in or that was the main story going into the matchup no what Houston focused on was stopping the Syracuse offense and then yeah, they succeeded in that. They held Syracuse to just 14 of 50 shooting from the field. Buddy Beheim came into the game. He had hit 13 three-pointers in the first two rounds combined. He had six in one game, seven in the other. They held him to just 13 of three of 13 shooting from the field. He only hit one three-pointer against Houston on one of nine shooting. It was a nightmare game for Buddy Beheim. And not only Beheim, but the entire Syracuse offense. Houston held Syracuse to just 46 points for the entire game, which is the least points total in an NCAA tournament game by the Orange in program history. Uh, for Houston, it was the fewest points allowed against an opponent in program history for Houston. So it was historic defensive effort by Houston against Syracuse. And just like, like I mentioned, a total team effort for Houston. <clears throat> I think it, that game was interesting when, when you look at it. You know, after the during the American Athletic Conference tournament, after Houston defeated Memphis head coach Penny Hardaway. I'm talking about Memphis, by the way, they just on the Sunday they were recording this day won the 2021 NIT championship. <clears throat> Memphis, who thought. They should have probably been in the NCAA tournament and made a good case by winning the NIT, but I digress. After Houston beat them in the American Athletic Conference tournament semifinal, Benny Hardaway called Houston's three-guard lineup, Dejan Giroux, Marcus Sasser, Quint Grimes, a three-headed monster. And something that 
kind of stood out to me in the first three games for Houston in the NCAA tournament. Houston hasn't had all three of those players play well in any one of these games. Obviously, Dejan Giroux in the first game goes out after the first minute against Cleveland State after suffering the hip pointer injury. So just against the Vikings, one of the heads was held out of the game against Rutgers. Dejan Giroux gutted it out. My goodness. If you haven't watched, if you didn't watch the game, if you haven't heard about it, and you're listening to this podcast, first if you're listening to the podcast and you have not watched second round game, Houston Rutgers. First of all, what are you doing? <laughs> you you what are you doing? You need to watch that game. Second of all, if you did, you know what I'm talking about about Dejan Giroux, how much he grit and grinded out that game. Pain it all. There was a point when he got laid out off on the screen, was in pain, went to the benched. It looked like Rutgers was gonna run away with it, and he gutted it out. Ended up with 17 points in that game, and Quentin Grimes kind of got it going on offense. But Marcus Sasser struggled heavily in that game, only shot one of nine for Houston, hit two crucial free throws to give Houston a three-point lead at the end of that game. But, you know, Houston has yet to have those three players on at the same time. And against Syracuse on Sunday, really none of the players had a good game. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Let me take that back. None of them had a great game. Dejan Giroux probably had the best game out of all of them. Flirted with another triple over. He had nine points, eight rebounds, and eight assists. Quentin Grimes led the team in scoring with 14 points. Marcus Sasser had 12 points. Only hit two threes on 5 of 15 shooting from the field. That's been picky, nitpickier there. But I think with, when you look at that Syracuse game as a whole, it was much more of a well-rounded, all-around team win. Justin Guam had 13.10 rebound, double-double. Obviously, that's something that he's kind of been known for this season for the Cougars. In fact, he had like he had a stretch where he hit where he recorded nine, he recorded double-digit rebounds in nine straight games. So obviously, all, every Houston fan knows what he's capable. of capable of a rebounding aspect of the game. But that is something to watch. And I feel like in order for Houston to be among the Gonzagas of the world, the Baylors of the world, the Michigans of the world, they're going to need those three players to play good probably twice, if we're being honest. And not to overlook Oregon State, where I'm going to kind of segue there for a second segment. That's going to be, we're going to do a little Houston-Oregon State preview. But in order for Houston to be a serious national championship contender, I say serious, they're in the Elite Eight. You know, anything that makes this far as a serious national championship contender. But in order for them to win it all, I believe that Marcus Sasser, Dejan Giroux, and Quentin Grimes have to have a good game at the same time. To be Baylor, to be Gonzaga, to be Michigan. I mean, to be any of the teams that's still here, honestly, at this point. But you know, you're going to kind of use that to segue because coming right up and talk more specifics of that. Houston-Oregon State matchup in the Elite Eight. Coming right up on Pod Slam and Jamma, your home for the University of Houston Hoops. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And we are back here on Pod of Simon Jamma, your home for all things University of Houston Hoops. 
once again, we are proud to be a part of the Apollo Podcast Media Network. And if you have followed us over here from the Clutch City Control Room days, we'd like to point out, you know, we're not the only ones who made the move. Obviously, the Launch Pod podcast followed us over, focusing on all things Houston Rockets. You guys should check them out if you have not. They're, obviously, right now, the Houston Rockets are having a down year and not much in the win column, but there's a lot of talk about when it comes to Christian Wood. Now, they're very high on Kevin Porter Jr., and tanking for Kate Cunningham. That is where things have gotten. But now let me I digress. And we'll talk more about the Oregon State Beavers. Their Houston's matchup in the Elite Eight round. Number 12 seed Oregon State. Doesn't really matter much. It's the region final. Now, Oregon State coming into the game 20 and 12 and defeated Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago was a uh, very good team. They really controlled that game in the second round against number one seed Illinois. Oregon State was ever to beat them 65 to 58 to advance their first elite, elite eight appearance since 1983. So no similarity to Houston there in terms of how long or a little bit longer than Houston between elite eight appearances in that game against Loyola Chicago. The Beavers were led by senior guard Ethan Thompson, who finished with 22 points, four rebounds and four assists. Junior forward War. Alitish recorded a 10.11 rebound double-double. And on Sunday afternoon, during head coach Kevin Sampson's media availability, he was gave high praise to both Ethan Thompson and Alitish. And, and when he talked about Thompson, he called him an alpha dog. And talking about Oregon State as a whole, Kevin Sampson said they're long up front, they're athletic. He mentioned Roman Silva, who is a screener, passer, tipper. He just keeps the balls alive. When it comes to Alitish, he led Oregon State in two different categories, 8.7 rebounds, 1.4 blocks. Comes to Thompson, he led Oregon State in three different rebounds, uh, in three different categories, with 15.8 points, 3.8 assists, and 1.2 steals. Sampson on Alatish had high praise. He called him, and I quote, a live wire. He could play on any one of my teams any days. Tremendous rebounder. Got a lot of pop to him. Part of our success against them has to start with keeping them off the offensive boards. He's a tremendous offensive rebounder. He's just a talented young man, end quote. Obviously, the road to get here for Oregon State, they had to knock off 5-seed Tennessee in the first round. They beat number 4-seed Oklahoma State. Kate Cunningham, I just mentioned, the Rocket fans are high on him being a potential top pick, number one pick in the NBA draft. They defeated Oklahoma State, and then, like I mentioned, they just beat Oklahoma, Loyola Chicago, who beat one seed Illinois. Dejan Giroux, Cobb, Oregon State, a very physical team. They have great guards, great big men, great foreman to rebound the ball. They shoot the ball well. They can get in the paint with drives. And Houston is focusing on another tough battle. One of the other things that Oregon State kind of does, similar to Syracuse, they run a zone. Not a, I said that's really where the similarity ends. The zone is much different than Syracuse's zone, which kind of relied on guarding certain areas. Kelvin Sampson, during Sunday afternoon's press conference or news conference, said the Oregon State zone is a little bit more different. They end up matching up more. It turns out to be much more of a man-to-man type of zone rather than just a, your typical 2-3, two, 3-2 three, three, two zone where you're just guarding certain areas. So, that's going to be a little bit more different. But talking about this matchup, it seems like Houston is going to be in for another physical battle. Uh, key and Many of the key players when it comes to Houston against the zone is forwards. Junior, junior forward, senior forward, 
Justin, excuse me, senior forward Justin Gorham had a big game against Syracuse. Obviously, like I mentioned, he had a double-double. But really, he hit a couple of great baskets, and really he hit the nail, the final nail in the coffin against Syracuse when Houston was kind of teetering with, on the edge, breaking the game open. He hit a, a jumper in the paint, got fouled, converted the end one that gave Houston an 11-point lead that kind of blew things open towards the end of that second half. And really, Houston never looked back. And I think the forwards are going to be another big piece to the puzzle if they're trying to beat Oregon State. And another thing, like I mentioned, it was more, much more of a team effort against Syracuse in terms of offense production. They didn't really have one player that kind of stood out. Quentin Grimes led the team at 14, had a couple of players scoring double digits. Uh, I, 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 I could see Houston pulling out this game similar to like they did with Syracuse if they have good defensively. I think one of the areas for concern, not just against Oregon State, but in order for them to advance and compete with the Baylors of the world, the Gonzagas of the world, has to be, you know, the biggest concern has to be those offensive drops. They had one against Syracuse towards the end of the middle of the first half. That's what let Syracuse tie the game at 20. And it, for those of you that listened to our podcast two episodes ago during our NCAA, or it might be three, two or three episodes ago during our NCAA tournament preview and Chris Gardner, the Houston Rob all review joined us. Chris kind of attributed that to kind of the lack of diversity. Sometimes Houston gets into, they kind of get into that rut offensively where they settle for three point shots, obviously against Syracuse in that zone, there's going to be chances. There's going to be time for that's just the best shot. And something Kevin Thompson said for that matchup. But you know, when they take too many threes, uh, the one thing about Houston, they're not going to rush into the first shot. They're not going to take the first shot. Problem, though, after they pass it around, is something I've observed. Once they pass it around, you know, after a few passes, the shot clock starts getting around the 10-second mark, starts ticking down. They kind of take those contested three-pointers. Sometimes they go in. Quentin Grimes has become a natural. His hesitation has become really, really good. He kind of gets into paint. Sometimes Houston kind of struggles. That's going to be one of the key areas, obviously, if it's against the matchup zone. It's going to be hard to post up. But Fabian White Jr. is probably going to play a big role in this game if he can get him to post, either attract some attention from Oregon State defenders so he can kick it out and get open shots. Sometimes, like I mentioned, basketball is a make or miss. If you guys watch the jump, that's kind of a famous uh, saying. It's a make or miss league in the NBA. It's kind of a make or miss game. That, that's what basketball is, period. Sometimes you're not going to make your shots. But Houston's defense is more than capable enough, or has been so far, to kind of limit the damage when that, that happens. And when Houston does get it going offensively, they're kind of that's, – that's one of the things that you – I feel like if Houston can have that offensive consistency and just hit the shots like Gonzaga's offense or flip the switch like Baylor did, that's something I'm going to talk about more in the third and final segment. Yeah, but I think that's really what's kind of separating Houston from being talked about with those upper-end teams. I think one of the things that isn't getting talked enough about Houston and – you know, some of it might say that it's because of the American Athletic Conference that they play in. Uh, but, I mean, a lot of talk was on Syracuse's 2-3 zone heading into that matchup. No one really talked about Houston. In their defense, they were among the top five in the country when it comes to scoring defense for the entire year. And I'm much excited about Houston's defense heading into that matchup. And head coach Kelvin Sampson was asked about that after the game against Syracuse and he said that's just the way it is. Syracuse, you know, they're the brand name. They're the headliner. They're going to get all the headlines. The story's going to be about them. He said Houston's not much of a story, but they should be, especially when it comes to their defense. That's kind of their bread and butter. That's 
what got them to the dance. That's kind of what Houston built their identity around. And that's something that they've really kind of honed in on. I mean, even against Rutgers, uh, when they kind of saw things going, I mean, they held Rutgers to just two points during the stretch. They trailed by nine with about four minutes and they went on a 14 2 run, uh, holding any team to two points for an extended period of stretch uh, amount of time is impressive. And that's something that should be playing, should be getting more attention in my opinion. And then it hasn't. Uh, one of the key players, like I said, I said forwards will be good or uh, will be key in this game. And that's another thing I feel that I call Tremont Mark my X factor for Houston in terms of how deep of a run they can make. And He's made me look like a genius so far, not to not to kind of brag on myself, but Jermon Mark has been really good for Houston in this tournament uh, against Syracuse. Like I mentioned, Quinn Grimes got into some early thought trouble in the first half of that game. And Jermon Mark came in and provided an offensive spark. He hit five points and a, a quick stretch when he first came in. That kind of helped Houston build that 12-point cushion early in the first half, and it, it gave them cushion when they went on that offensive drop to be tied instead of trailing and have to make a comeback. Tremont Mark is going to be a key player. Marcus Hasser, man, he just has to start hitting. He's, he has to start being more efficient. Obviously, some of it has to do with just the, the role he's kind of playing. He's kind of become Houston's three-point shooter. But one thing I saw him do against Syracuse a little bit more was being aggressive and kind of taking a tour through the paint towards closer to the basket and trying to get those floaters going. Maybe he can get those shots to go in just a little bit more efficient. It's going to be do wonders for Houston and their chances of advancing and giving problems to the, you know, top teams, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan. They are 40 minutes away from being in the conversation with those teams. So that's going to be a big factor. And, Coming right up on Pod Slam and Jamma, we'll talk about those teams a little bit more. The remaining eight, the Elite Eight, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, the other teams, <laughs> too many to list off those eight. I'll talk, I'll do my final four predictions and talk a little bit about what I saw from each coming right up on Pod Slam and Jamma. Your home, the University of Houston Hoops. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And we are back on Pod Slam Jam, your home for the University of Houston Cougars. Men's and women's basketball, obviously right now the focus is on the men's basketball because of the NCAA tournament, but let's not forget about the women's. For those of you that have not heard, the University of Houston women's team just finished one of their best seasons in years, and they ended up winning the NI with the women's NIT consolation bracket. <clears throat> After losing in the first round of the NIT tournament, they were able to turn around. They had one game canceled due to COVID protocols, but they were able to win the final game in the consolation bracket to finish off their season with win. So once basketball season eventually ends, we're close. That's kind of sad and good, but at the same time, but the men's basketball season is coming to an end with really in about 10 days, not even less than 10 days, about a week. Uh, the basketball, college basketball season will come to an end for both the men's and the women's. 
So we're going to be a lot more to talk about on both from both the U of H men's and women's side once that does happen. So <clears throat> be sure to stay with us while we stay have whatever happens. The remaining of the NCAA tournament for the University of Houston men's basketball team. And follow us through our offseason coverage. There's going to be a lot to talk about in the offseason. Obviously, the seniors, they get an extra year of eligibility. Will anyone decide to come back? It doesn't look like Kevin Sampson is convinced they will. Um, and some of the juniors, Quentin Grimes, does he decide to declare for the NBA draft? Or does he come back for his senior year? They recently asked Quentin Grimes about had he made a decision yet, and he said that he has not thought about he hasn't made a decision and he said his only focus was on getting a national championship but that's certainly going to be a storyline once the offseason starts whenever that is for Houston <clears throat> he has certainly done wonders this season to kind of raise the stock once again in the NBA draft prospects but that's offseason talk I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself so we'll focus with the remaining eight the elite eight the elite Eight. You know, if this was wrestling, you'd have some catchy, you know, catchy promos for all these remaining teams. But, you know, when you talk about Gonzaga, obviously the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament that stands, they will play the winner of Oregon USC, in which, while I'm recording this on Wednesday, on Wednesday, on Sunday night, uh, USC and Oregon are still playing, but USC currently holds a 69 to 56 lead over the Ducks with just over six minutes and 30 to go in the second half. So it looks like USC will be the team to play Gonzaga in the West region final. I give the advantage to Gonzaga. Uh, my goodness, they are undefeated. They have gone through the first three rounds of the NCAA tournament like they have for much of the season. They haven't really been challenged much so far, and that just shows how, you know, it's impressive for both how dominant they are, but, Obviously, over the course of a long season, obviously, of course, it was a COVID season. They played a decent amount of games, did not have a letdown game at all. You know, we saw with Houston, they had a few games where they struggled. The East Carolina game comes to mind where sometimes you just, not your night, you struggle to hit shots and the other team catches on fire like East Carolina did against Houston. But Gonzaga has been consistent the entire season, and that is why I expect them to be – Whoever advances between USC and Oregon right now is looking like USC is the team. Over in the East region is going to be Michigan and UCLA. What a game. UCLA and the Crimson Tide, Roll Tide. No, I'm not an Alabama fan, but Roll Tide is catch. You had to admit that. Um, what a game. That game went overtime. Alabama forced overtime with a shot at the buzzer as time expired in regulation. But once it got into overtime, it was all UCLA. They outscored, obviously, the Crimson Tide by 10 points. And they are going to the Elite Eight. Over in the South region, it is Baylor and Arkansas for a right at a Final Four, Final Four berth. And I give the nod to Baylor. 25-2 and two all season long. Most of their Both their losses came after the COVID pause. And really... <clears throat> You know, you saw with Houston that they, they kind of, you kind of, after they go on long pause due to COVID, kind of struggle to get back. But it certainly looks like they've shaken off those cobwebs. They're getting back into rhythm. And man, I saw a little bit of the tail end of that game between Baylor and Villanova towards the middle of the second half. It was a tight game. Villanova was beating Baylor. And just like that, Baylor flipped the switch. 
and they seem like a different team. They just Lenovo was hanging with them. They had the edge over them, and then they could not keep up. That's how good the Bears have been this season. Man, you know, a lot of talk has been made of Davian Mitchell. He wears 45, wearing green. It kind of looks like he's wearing a Utah Jazz uniform, and it reminds people of Donovan Mitchell. He kind of kind of has a similar game to Donovan, but, man, he is probably Oregon. Oregon. He's probably Baylor's, one of Baylor's best players. <clears throat> he's done a good job of leading Baylor so far in the season. Obviously, Baylor's just a well-around team when it comes to their defense as a whole and we just talked about in the Midwest Midwest region final Houston Oregon State final four predictions that is where everyone is talking about right now well ba- brackets were busted a long time ago probably uh, when Oral Roberts dethroned two seed Ohio State way back in the first round of the NCAA tournament but you know Give over Roberts credit. They were one shot away from advancing to the Elite Eight. It would have been the first time ever that a 15 seed made it to the Elite Eight. Fell just one shot short. That's just how crazy this NCAA tournament has been. Uh, but yeah, I don't believe that Arkansas has enough to beat Baylor. I believe Houston has just more firepower or Oregon State. And I believe that Michigan will beat UCLA. I haven't talked too much about that matchup. I just feel like UCLA's offense. That it has been hot. I mean, shoot, they had to play in the first four out, first four in um, Thursday. They were not officially part of the first round of the NCAA tournament yet. Since then, you know, they had to beat Michigan State. They beat BYU. They beat Abilene Christian. And they beat uh, Alabama on Sunday. But I feel like the law of averages will eventually catch up to them. And I give the nod to Michigan. That's my final four. That's right. I waited until the Elite Eight to make my final four predictions, and somehow I'll probably be wrong, but I got Baylor, Houston in one side of the bracket, Gonzaga, Michigan in the other. It'll be interesting to see. I feel like those would be great games, but not to get too far ahead of ourselves. But that's what I believe will happen. And I'm curious, Plus Lama Jama listeners, if you have made it this far, first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen. I know this episode was a lot more weird. It's just me, you know. Uh, we couldn't have any of the other co-hosts to hop on the Zoom. I couldn't contact anyone. So it was just me, and you're just hearing my thoughts. Which, if you have maintained this type of... If you've maintained it, made it all the way through here, I greatly appreciate it. We greatly appreciate it. But I want to hear from you. First of all, thank you, like I said, for listening. But I want to hear from you. What's your final four? Do you agree? Disagree? Gonzaga, Michigan, Baylor, Houston. Tweet me uh, on Twitter, Ayanez underscore five. Find, shoot, shoot a tweet to Apollo Houston at Apollo H-O-U. You disagree? You agree with my takes, my analysis so far? And really, that's going to do it for today's episode of Pod Slam and Jamma. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdown, speculation, guest voices, could not have any guest voices or even camaraderie on this show, but <clears throat> I will try to do. We will try to do. No, I can't. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not, I'm not in the mood to kind of make up a guest host hopefully i don't have to do this hopefully this is a one-time thing and i don't have to do a one in 
one-on-none podcast as Chris Garner does. I think he had his own series where it's just him talking. It's a different style. It's a lot weirder. Wait for, in my opinion, it's much more better when you have someone to bounce off ideas. But if you have listened to this point, like I said, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you haven't done so already, please be sure to rate us on iTunes or anywhere where you can rate our podcast. Give us what you feel we deserve. Um, obviously, if you ask me, I say we deserve five stars. First of all, come on, I'm doing a one on our podcast just for you, just for our audience, just for our Pod Simon Jam listeners. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to have you back on the next episode of Pod Slam Jam, covering your University of Houston Cougars.